In Parshat Rumah, the Torah shifts attention to the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which will essentially be the major focus of the remainder of Sefer Shemot. This weekly portion specifically relates Hashem's instructions for constructing the Mishkan. Manitou teaches that Moshe and Aaron had very different understandings of the purpose of the tabernacle. From Aaron's perspective, people are by nature prone to mistakes and therefore require a means of gaining atonement in order to spiritually clean themselves from their transgressions. This would actually be a central part of the role Aaron and his descendants, the Kohanim, would play. Through the priestly service in the Mishkan and later at the Temple in Jerusalem, the sons of Aaron would help the people of Israel atone for their sins through the Kobanot. But Moshe, who may not have been as close to the people as Aaron, but remains forever unmatched in his level of Nivuah, saw the Mishkan differently. He related to it primarily as a vehicle for the Hebrews to receive divine revelation. For Moshe, it wasn't so much about helping the people atone for their failures, as it was about raising them up in Hashem's service. Moshe had ascended Sinai alone, and had entered a cloud in which the Divine Presence was concealed. In Bamidbar 9 verse 15, we see that cloud hovering over the Mishkan. Moshe therefore related to the tabernacle primarily as a means of prolonging and perpetuating the national experience of Divine Revelation that occurred at Sinai, and also as a way to share at least some of the experience that only he had had. The perspectives of Moshe and Aharon are of course both correct, and each actually achieves its full expression when harmonized with the other. Although these different viewpoints could have theoretically caused Israel to factionalize into warring camps, Hebrew logic, as we see expressed throughout the Gemara and many of our ancient writings, allows us to transcend ostensibly opposite positions and find a greater truth that's actually inclusive of them both. The Mishkan, and later the Temple, would unite these two perspectives of atonement and revelation as mutually complementary. Spiritual cleansing allows for spiritual advancement. In fact, part of what made Moshe and Aharon so successful as a team, especially in comparison to other brothers we see featured earlier in the Torah, is that their relationship wasn't competitive but complementary. Parshat Truma relates the instructions for how to construct the Mishkan from the perspective of Moshe's approach. This begins with the people bringing voluntary gifts. Not offerings externally commanded, but rather as coming from a desire within those contributing the materials. Parshat Truma begins with the voluntary decisions of individuals to come close to Hashem. And the description of the Mishkan throughout the Parsha tends to follow this theme of coming from the inside out. First the Arona Brit, the Ark of the Covenant that would possess the tablets of the Ten Commandments and be kept in the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies. Then the table for the showbread and the menorah and the Kodesh, the Holy. Then the coverings and the planks for the walls, followed by the altar and the outer courtyard where it was situated. The Mishkan would be built in such a way that it would be entered from the east. To the right in the north would be the showbread. To the left in the south would be the menorah. Further ahead would be the Kodesh Kodeshim with the Aron Abrit. The Torah's instructions for constructing these items all combine organic with inorganic materials. The ark and the table were constructed of acacia wood, overlaid with gold, while the menorah was made from solid gold, but in the shape of a tree. Wood grows naturally and symbolizes human life. But the passions of the soul must be properly channeled, and therefore the wood must be contained in a golden framework. Although in modern times we're used to thinking of gold as symbolic of material wealth, that's actually more the role of silver in our Torah. Gold is most often associated with values and culture. In our episode on Parshat Bo, we discussed how Israel left Egypt with gold, and that some of this gold would go towards the Mishkan, while some of it would go towards the golden calf. We should understand gold in the Torah as a metaphor for cultural wealth. When the people of Israel return home to our land from the exile and begin to build our civilization, we come with gold from the diaspora. 
different ideas and values and ways of doing things that may or may not be beneficial for the society we're trying to create. We need to learn how to sift this gold in order to filter out that which would be counterproductive. Shmot 25 verses 18 to 22 instruct Israel to make the cover of the Arona Brit. This includes the commandment to fashion two golden kuvim. This might seem a bit shocking at first. Israel had already been prohibited from making any graven images like those that were commonly used for idolatry. Yet here we see Hashem command Moshe to instruct Israel to construct graven images that will be situated atop the Ark in the Holy of Holies. Our sages differ as to the exact appearance of these kuvim, but it's clear from the verses that they have wings, and that Hashem would communicate with Moshe through a voice emanating from the space between them. We actually first encounter kuvim in Bereshit 3 verse 24, when the Creator stationed them together with a rotating sword of fire to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden. The role of kuvim appears to be to stand at the border between different worlds, and to guard the entrance point to the higher of the worlds. Atop the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, the Kruvim stand at the border between two worlds and mark the entrance through which divine revelation enters ours. The tablets inside the Arona Brit represent divine revelation that had already been expressed, and the divine voice being heard from the space between the Kruvim on the Ark's cover essentially continues that ongoing revelation. The Torah then moves on to the instructions for constructing the Shulchan, the table. The table symbolizes the material well-being of the nation and the showbread set on the table express that all material blessings come from Hashem. From a Hebrew perspective, material success possesses spiritual value. Twelve loaves of the showbread were placed on the table to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. Hashem's bracha rests on the success of the entire unified nation, but also on the success of each individual tribe. Opposite the table would stand the menorah. Unlike the ark, which symbolizes divine revelation and generally remains hidden from view behind a partition, the menorah symbolizes wisdom that comes into the world through human beings acting in partnership with the Creator. The menorah must be fashioned from a single piece of gold because true wisdom is actually holistic and not merely a fragmented collection of ideas. Unlike man-made philosophies that seek to divide the world into unrelated parts, divine wisdom understands reality as a unified whole. The menorah must also possess six identical branches plus a center branch to symbolize the six days of creation and Shabbat. The menorah is fully displayed outside the partition and stands opposite the table in the main room we call the Kodesh. The table and the menorah are actually interrelated because the children of Israel are able to give our light to the world only when we experience ourselves living securely and successfully in our land. The divine revelation emanating from the Kodesh Kodeshim behind the partition was expressed through two channels in the Kodesh, through the showbread representing material success and through the menorah representing wisdom and enlightenment. Virtually everything that affects the human adventure and the quality of our lives comes down to these two things, materialism and idealism, which must be constantly balanced. It's also important to note that the parochet, the partition separating between the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim, was divinely instructed to contain both linen and wool, a mixture called shatnez that the Torah generally forbids. But not only was Israel instructed to make the partition from this forbidden mixture, but also the cover of the Mishkan and the uniforms of the Kohanim. This is because the Mishkan, similar to the Temple, was like an embassy of higher worlds existing in our world. The same rules don't apply. So a number of things that would normally be forbidden were actually commanded for the Mishkan and are still commanded for the Mikdash. The Parochet, separating the Kodesh representing revealed divinity from the Kodesh Kodeshim representing hidden divinity, should be understood as a barrier between worlds. It therefore also featured an image of Kruvim. 
The coverings of the walls of the Jerusalem temple would later also be embroidered with images of Kuvim, because they would mark the boundary between worlds where humans would be able to experience a personal encounter with the divine. 